with me, if you would, to the book of Ruth. And I am excited this morning as we get to uh, consider this small book together. As you turn there, um, let's, uh, let's begin our time in God's Word in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good and you do good. Good is who you are, it is, it is your character, and, and because of that, you do good to us. You, you, good, you do good to those who do not deserve it. You, could, you do good to the righteous and the sinful alike. Father, we thank you for your goodness towards us in Christ. Father, we ask that as a church, you would give us favor in the community, that through our service, through our, our lives, personally, at home, and at work, and at play, we would be good examples of, of you and of your goodness, and of your love for us, and of the reconciling work of Christ in our lives, and that that favor would give us opportunities not only to influence the community, but, but particularly influence the community with the gospel. We might tell people of what you have done for us in Christ that you have saved our souls. Lord, we pray this morning for Mission Church as they uh, are still continuing to try and navigate the difficulties of, of not being able to meet and, and COVID. Father, we pray that, um, that you would be at work in the lives of those people, uh, drawing them into your word, drawing them closer to yourself, and not just them, us as well. Lord, I pray for Brian as he pastors that flock there, Lord, that you would give him uh, encouragement and wisdom, Lord, and that he would be able to care for those souls well. Lord, we pray for the lost in our community and, and even to the ends of the earth that we might be able to reach them with the gospel. Lord, give us a, a, a deep care for them that we would uh, desire to, um, to, to share the gospel with them and that we would be more concerned for the state of their souls than our own comfort or our own fears. Lord, we pray for our missions partners in Southeast Asia who have gone out from us. We thank you for them. We thank you for the work that they're doing, Lord. We thank you for the many praises that they have shared with us, that people are hearing of Jesus in the translation work that they are doing, and that people are believing that your word is exactly that, your word, and that you are revealing yourself through it. Lord, we thank you that you have given their family uh, times of refreshing and that their library is open and that they're able to reach the community within those ways. Lord, we pray that that would serve the spread of the gospel there. But Lord, we pray with them uh, that you would give them the ability to act, uh, clearly and accurately translate your word, uh, that you would give them first open eyes to see your word and, and what's in it, and that they would then be able to translate that well into the language of the people. Lord, as they need work visas to be renewed, we ask that you would provide those for them. And as they are moving from uh, evangelism ministries almost entirely to some discipleship ministries now, Lord, we ask that you would uh, give them wisdom in that as well, and that the people who they are caring for would see uh, great growth because of your word. Father, may the words sound forth not only from them, but from us as well. Not only here in this room and from this pulpit, from now until you return, but in our growth groups and in our adult Bible classes, in our, all of our ministries, children and youth, and, and in our lives personally. Lord, give us open eyes to to see what's in your word and soft hearts to reveal it to us. Soft hearts to obey it, rather. That we might um, obey your word and be obedient to it. We ask your blessing on this time 
In Jesus' name, amen. I am uh, really, really excited to share the book of Ruth with you today. It's one of my favorite uh, books in scripture, and I think it's uh, got some incredible things to say to us. If I had to reduce the story of scripture, if somebody said, give me the Bible in one word, I would say that word is redemption. That Genesis to Revelation is God's story of redemption, of redeeming us from ourselves and from our sin and from our ways. And the main uh, focus of the book of Ruth is also about redemption. And as we're about to read the whole book together, I want you to keep that theme in mind. It has been described not just in the church, but also in the world as one of, if not the greatest short story ever written. It is an incredible piece of literature as we see God at work among his people. Sometimes, however, there's a great temptation to under-spiritualize Scripture. Uh, an example would be uh, Nehemiah is not primarily a book about leadership. And Ruth is not primarily a book about how to find a husband. And sometimes we tend to over-spiritualize the Bible. That might sound weird, uh, but if, if, uh, if you've ever been in any Sunday school class and you ask the question, what's this verse about? Somebody is going to fire off as quickly as possible, Jesus! Sometimes that's not the right answer. Sometimes the verse is about us. Sometimes the subject of, of a sentence is us. Sometimes it's the church. Sometimes it's the world. Now, to be clear and certain, certain, all Scripture is about Jesus. All Scripture gets us to Jesus. All Scripture brings us to the foot of the cross. In Luke 24, 27, after the resurrection, as Jesus meets with some of his disciples, we're told that uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. All scripture points to Jesus. All scripture brings us there. So why study the book of Ruth? Well, I think there are a few reasons uh, for studying the book of Ruth. Number one is that it points us to Jesus, as all scripture is about him. And I want us to see Jesus in this text today. Second, and, and maybe particularly appropriate for the times that we live in, we need to see and to be reminded of God's providence. That God is in control of every single event in life. And not just what goes on and out there, but your life. Every detail of your life is under the providential control of God. And that should give us hope in this world that often seems out of control. A third reason for studying the book of Ruth is to remember that God's mercy crosses cultural barriers. I, I, I would charge you with this. Because we live in a world where, where the word race is, is a loaded term. There is only one race, the race of Adam. And Jesus came to redeem that race from themselves. And so we might see and understand ethnicities and cultures, but there is only one race. And fourthly, it shows us God's redeeming grace. So I want us to see God's redeeming grace in this wonderful little book called Ruth. Follow along as I read it to you. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. That would be modern-day Jordan, by the way, east of Israel. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband." Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, "'Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt uh, with the dead and with me.'" The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. In Hebrew, Naomi means pleasant and Mara means bitter. Do not call me pleasant. Call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me, Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the very beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. 
And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not approach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man whose name I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. So they kept close to the young women of Boaz, young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on a cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. And do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. 
He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, he said, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me for he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. The Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. 
And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. I want us to look today now at four parallels between Ruth and Naomi and us. The first parallel is that we are separated from all that we need for life. We are separated from what we need for life. Their separation was physical. In a famine, they had traveled east to Moab, and there there was a famine, and their husbands died, and in that culture, a widow was helpless to provide for herself. God's laws of Leverite marriage, where a family member would marry the widow, was for her protection. Uh, he would bear, hopefully, he and her would bear sons in the name of the deceased, that his name might be perpetuated, but also that there might be protection and provision for the woman. And so their, their separation was physical. Our separation, however, from what we need from life uh, may be physical in this life, but is primarily spiritual. The, the cause of their famine, we don't really know, other than that by God's providence, he brought a famine upon the land. But our cause of separation from life is sin. In, in Adam and Eve, we have all sinned and inherited a sin nature, and we all have by choice uh, made ourselves to be sinners. And as they were in Moab, in the wilderness, in a famine, having nothing they need for life because of death, and because of being separated from their providers, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, they were hopeless and helpless. And spiritually, so are we. Because of sin, we are separated from our provider, God, who they lost three providers, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, and we are separated from the three members of the Trinity, because of our sin, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as widows, they were unable to provide for themselves and to care for themselves. And as sinners, so are we. We, like them, are separated from all that we need for life. Secondly, we are in need of a kinsman redeemer. We are in need of a kinsman redeemer. Leviticus 25 and 27 provided for a family member to redeem any debts and, and, and to care for any widows. So if, if, uh, if a man were to own land and he were to have a family, but let's say no brothers, no sons, or, or even if there was brothers, um, this would be what Leverite marriage was, where a brother would marry. But, but if a man died and a widow was left, a family member, in Hebrew, a goel, a, a kinsman redeemer, was able to purchase the land, and with the land, also the, the woman, who, the widow who was left, and that widow would become his wife, and he would care for her. By God's providence, Ruth, having returned with Naomi to Bethlehem, goes out to glean in the fields, and she happens to glean, uh, again, by God's providence, in the field of Boaz, a kinsman redeemer. 
And she begins to, uh, to, to gather what little bits of grain she can from the edges of the field. God had commanded that when you harvest a field, to leave the edges uncut so that the poor could come into the field and could glean for themselves and could cut grain and, and they would not starve. It was a way that God provided for those who could not provide for themselves. And so by God's providence, Naomi goes to the field of a kinsman Redeemer to seek what she needs. And by God's omnipotence, in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, our kinsman Redeemer becomes one of us. He takes on flesh. He becomes a man to provide for us what we could not provide for ourselves. We want to We desire to. We desire to provide for our own salvation, to work for it, to earn it, to to go glean from some field and gather enough to provide what we need. But the reality is we are totally separated from what we need for spiritual life. We cannot provide for ourselves. And so by God's providence, Ruth comes to glean in the field of a kinsman redeemer, and by God's omnipotence, Christ becomes our kinsman, actual human, part of his own creation, so that he might be our redeemer. The truth is that we cannot redeem ourselves from our sin any more than Naomi or Ruth could redeem the property that they owned and provide for themselves in their culture. We are separated from everything we need for spiritual life, and we are in need of a kinsman to redeem us. Thirdly, we need rest, not merely provision. As we read this story, we see that the famine had come. Naomi and Ruth go home to Bethlehem. They begin to, Naomi goes, or rather Ruth, excuse me, goes out to to glean. And she begins to glean in the fields. And Boaz notices that she's a hard worker. Um, In in chapter 2, verse 7, she had continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She was working hard to provide what she and Naomi needed. And Boaz and the young men with him noticed her, and they had noticed the work. And so Boaz begins to provide for her. He gives her uh, an ephah of barley, which is uh, about 22 liters. That's a lot of grain, far more grain than they could have eaten in a day. It's probably enough grain not only for them to eat themselves, but to sell and to make a living. And so Boaz is here providing for Ruth, and he is providing for Naomi. And God does the same for us, not just us, but for everybody. Everybody, saved or unsaved, to some degree experiences God's grace. We don't all experience God's saving grace. That is for the redeemed. That is for those who have trusted in Christ. But we all experience common grace, Common grace is, is God's grace upon all people, sinful, uh, all sinful people, whether redeemed or not. In Matthew 5, 45, uh, Jesus says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The fields of the, the saved and the unsaved 
Both produce crops. Rain falls on them both. They harvest and they sell. Believers and non-believers alike uh, experience the beauty of God's creation. We experience seasons. We experience mountains and and oceans and sunrises. We we experience work and and the provision of that work. And in that sense, God, in some measure, gives grace to all people. But Ruth and Naomi needed more than food. They needed more than provision. They needed protection. They needed redemption. And so Boaz, he takes Ruth as his bride. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. After being provided for abundantly in chapter 2, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Should I not seek rest for you? It wasn't just provision that they were after. It wasn't just food. It wasn't just enough to eat. Naomi sought rest for Ruth. She wanted to give her rest from her labor, rest from her work. She didn't want her to continue striving at the edges of the field where there wasn't hardly enough to continue to seek for enough crumbs to eke a living by. No, she wanted rest for her. She wanted her to be purchased by the Redeemer. And in order to to do that, Boaz has to take Ruth as his bride. This was not something he had to do. This was not something he was obligated to do. In fact, there was a family member closer in line to Ruth and Naomi who, who could have redeemed them. And so uh, Boaz finds this guy and says, buy the field and the women with it. And the guy says, I don't want to mess up with my inheritance. You purchase them. He didn't have to redeem them, but clearly he wanted to. When we trust Christ, when we believe in his death and resurrection for our salvation, for our redemption, to purchase out of the, the spiritual famine that we live in because of our sin, we become part of the church. We become part of his bride. A bride that he did not have to redeem, but a bride that he wanted to redeem. And we come under the protection of our Redeemer. But Christ does more than just provide for us. He protects us. Leave a finger in Ruth and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. After the author has explained, the author of Hebrews has explained the greatness of Christ and his supremacy over uh, the angels and his supremacy over all creation and his supremacy over the Old Testament sacrifices and greater than Moses, we come to chapter 4 and we're told this, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we, have be- for we who have believed have entered that rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. 
although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, Today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the word already, words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his See, we're faced with two options here. Uh, This is a reference to when the Israelites, having left Egypt and settled in the land of Israel, this land that's supposed to be their resting place, has not yet been rest for them. And why hasn't it been rest for them? Because the, the, the provider of their redemption had not yet provided it, namely Jesus Christ. And so they had not had this opportunity to rest. And so we're faced with two options. We can seek to provide for our own salvation. We can go about doing good works, thinking, well, if I just do enough good things, God will receive me. We can go about trying to to do even churchy things. We read in Matthew where Jesus says, some will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, did I not attend Sunday services? Did I not serve in the church? Was I not a growth group leader or an adult Bible class teacher? Lord, look at all the things I did gleaning around the fields to earn my salvation. Or we can, by faith, become part of the bride of Christ and cease from our rest. What rest is it? It is the rest for providing our own salvation. Why why do we enter his rest? Because Christ came as a human being. He became our kinsman. And he lived a perfect life in obedience to God's law never having sinned, never having broken it. And then as our kinsman, he pays the ultimate price for our redemption. He gives his very life to pay our debt of death, to pay for our separation, to be not just our kinsman having become human, but to be our kinsman redeemer having paid for us with the price of his own blood. And three days later, he rose again. And 50 days later, he ascended to heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over all things. But his work of redemption, his work of purchasing us from our sinfulness, it's complete. He is rested from that work. And he invites us by faith in him, by ceasing working the corners of the field, trying to provide for our own salvation, he invites us to, by faith, become part of his bride, of whom he is redeemer and provider and protector, and to rest from our works. 
Not works in response to his salvation, but works in an effort to, re, to, to purchase our own salvation and to provide for our faith. He has rested and he invites us into more than just his provision, but to rest. And this brings us to our fourth point, and that is that our kinsman redeemer bought us with a price. Our kinsman redeemer bought us with a price. We see in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, that Ruth and Naomi were not free. The land and therefore the women had to be purchased by the Redeemer. And the closest kinsman Redeemer, uh, he, he refused to purchase it because he didn't want to mess with his own inheritance. But we have a kinsman Redeemer who has purchased us, and not just with money, but with his own life. He rescues us from death by death. This is an amazing reality in that at the cross, Jesus Christ kills death by death and three days later rises victoriously. But the purchase price of our rest is incredibly high. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What is the price that we were purchased with? 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited for, from your forefathers. Not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Ruth was purchased for an unknown price. We were purchased with an infinite price. The price of the blood of Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. And so we see that because of our sin, we are separated from everything we need in life spiritually. That we, like Ruth and Naomi, are in need of a kinsman to redeem us. And that is Jesus Christ. That we need more than mere provision. Everyone is, is, is given that in common grace we need rest because only God can provide our salvation for us. And our kinsman redeemer bought us with a price. I want to close with two thoughts about our kinsman redeemer. That's how we're like Ruth and Naomi. But how does Boaz point us to Jesus? I want to, make, I want to draw out two points here. First, he is a selfless redeemer. He is a selfless redeemer. He is good and he does good. The first redeemer in line was not willing to jeopardize his inheritance. Maybe his parents were still living. And, and, and as they were still living, maybe uh, by, by purchasing this land and bringing Ruth and Naomi into his family, what his parents would have had, may, maybe they would have been jeopardized. Or maybe it's what he had, and, and he had sons or daughters that he wanted it to go to. But whatever the reasoning, we don't know what it was, he was not willing to pay much. He was willing to pay the price of the land if he gained another field to harvest and if he gained another wife. But upon realizing that it would cost him something, he was out. And he said, Boaz, you go ahead and do it. Boaz was willing to pay that price. He was willing to pay whatever it took. 
We see this of God in John 3.16. That God so loved the world. If you read my blog last week, you would know, you'll know what that word so means. Sometimes we say, well, I, I, how big is it? It's so big. That's not what so means. That's not what the Greek word behind so means in John 3.16. What it means is in this manner. For God, in this manner, loved the world. In what manner did God love the world? In that he gave his son. In order that whoever believes in him might not have eternal life, or might not perish, but have eternal life. What was God willing to pay? What was the redemption price at which he was willing to purchase us? It was at the price of his own son. And Christ didn't go against his will. John 10 is clear that, that no one is taking Jesus' life, but that he willingly lays it down for the sheep. Our kinsman redeemer is a selfless redeemer. And he was not willing to pay some price. He was willing to pay the ultimate price. And secondly, he is a redeemer who delights in his bride. He is a redeemer who delights in his bride. Look with me again at verse, um, actually it's chapter, nope, maybe I have the wrong verse in here. Chapter 3, verse 10. Nope, that's not it. I'll find it. <laughs> Okay, this all, you know, it's never a good thing to put the wrong verse in your notes. But this is worth uh, seeing, so give me a moment here. Chapter 3, verse 10. Maybe I did put the right verse in there. Maybe I just read it the wrong way in here. So Ruth goes to Boaz at the threshing floor. She uncovers his feet. The, the wings of his robe, she uncovers his feet and she lays at them. And he wakes up and he sees her there. And, and verse 9, he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She's basically saying, Redeem me, purchase me, marry me. She's the one who needs provision, she's the one who needs redemption, she's the one who needs rest. Verse 10, and he said to her, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. And that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Her first kindness was to care for Naomi. Her second kindness was to seek rest, redemption, and marriage in him. He's about to purchase her. He's already been providing her for her. He has, he's protected her. He's ordered that none of the, the threshing floor was a dangerous place, for, especially for women. Men did a lot of rotten things there. And he ordered his young men not to assault her. 
He attached her to his young women so that she might not be assaulted. He had her stay with him there on the threshing floor until morning, not in some inappropriate way, but to make sure that she wasn't assaulted by anyone else. He had provided for her. He's now protecting her. He's going to, at his own cost, redeem her. And when he sees that he gets to marry her and she becomes his bride, he considers it her kindness to him. We have a redeemer who delights in us. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He is our kinsman redeemer. He has purchased us at the price of his own blood. We continue to rebel and sin against him. But he has provided for us. He protects us. He purchases us. He has drawn us into the church where we become his bride as he is our kinsman redeemer. And then he delights in us. He is a selfless redeemer. And he is a joyful redeemer. He became one of us and paid everything to purchase us. If you're still gleaning around the fields trying to provide for your own salvation, would you stop from your work today? And would you by faith enter his rest? Would you trust him to be the one who has provided for you and will protect you and has purchased you and has made every provision for your forgiveness, for your redemption, for your salvation through his blood? And if you have, would you see today that as our selfless, delightful redeemer, he is worthy of our wholehearted devotion? May we love him with the same fervor and joy that he has loved us. Lord, thank you for being our kinsman redeemer, for taking on flesh to become our kinsman and dying on the cross to redeem us from the famine of our sin and for delighting in us and enjoying us and being pleased with us because of what you have done for us. Lord, may we cease from our work and trust you. May we not try and provide for our own salvation, but enter your rest while it is still today. And may we who have trusted you see that you are good and you delight in us. And may we give you the wholehearted devotion that you deserve for your everlasting glory, for our good, but also for our joy. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
So we're going to take the book of Ruth today, and we are going to make a beeline to the cross. Before we read it, I would like to give us four reasons why Ruth is such a timely book to us. First and foremost, it does point us to Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection, meeting his disciples, uh, he told, we're told in Luke 24, 27, that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, the scriptures to him would have been what we call the Old Testament. And he showed them how through the whole thing, the point of it was all to point and to reveal him. Secondly, we need to see God's providence as he orchestrates his plan in the world around us. Sometimes it's easy to see or to remind ourselves as we look at things that happen out in the world that God is still providentially in control. It's a little more difficult when it comes to my life. And what we see here in the book of Ruth is that God, by his providence, is in control of all of the circumstances of our life. Thirdly, we need to remember that God's mercy crosses all cultural barriers. And we'll see that here in the book of Ruth. Uh, the, the topic of race is a big topic in our world today. It is a hot topic. But I think scripture would teach us that race is a social construct. That there is one race on earth, and that is mankind. That we are all of the race of Adam and that that is the race that Christ came to redeem. Certainly we would affirm cultures and ethnicities as there are going to be people in heaven from every tribe and tongue and nation. But there is one race, the human race, and therefore the gospel transcends all cultural boundaries. And fourthly, and maybe most importantly, not most importantly, second, Christ is most important, is it shows us God's redeeming grace. And so I want you to look for the theme of God's redeeming grace as we read this marvelous little book now. Follow along with me as I read Ruth to you. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of, names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Now they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the hill country of Moab and remained there. Moab would be modern day Jordan, uh, east of Israel. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? 
Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now, you should know that Naomi in Hebrew means pleasant. She said to me, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. Do not call me pleasant, call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And he said to her, go my daughter. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields of the reapers. And she, had, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the, of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young, men who was in charge of the re- young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves for the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, and do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be upon the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. 
And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. For she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. When Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, uh, then, excuse me, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, and do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today." 
Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is none besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be nouned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. I want us now to see four parallels between Ruth and Naomi and us. The first is that we are separated from what we need for life. Their separation was physical. They had gone into Moab, and there was, by God's providence, a famine. And and the famine separated mostly from food, what they needed from life. But it was not just food that they were separated from. It was also from their husbands, as, as death had separated them from their providers. 
In this culture and in this day and age, a woman was unable to provide for herself. And God had commanded of his people that when they harvest a field, they leave the edges of the field uncut so that those who were poor and helpless could go and glean among the edges of the field and would not starve. But due to the famine and to the death of their husbands, their providers and protectors, they did not have what they needed for life. While it was famine and God's providence that separated them from what they need, it is our sin that separates us from what we need. Our sin, uh, the, the result of sin or the rather consequence of sin is death. And our spiritual death as we are sinners, both in Adam as we've inherited a sin nature and by choice as we choose to sin, separates us from God. It is interesting to me that they are separated from three possible providers and that we are separated from the triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But either way, death and famine and sin and spiritual death has separated us from all that we need. And as sinners, we are unable to provide for ourselves. Like them, we are separated from all that we need for life. Secondly, we are in need of a kinsman redeemer. We are in need of a kinsman redeemer. Leviticus 25 and 27 and other passages provided for what we call Leverite marriage. And Leverite marriage was if you were widowed uh, as an act of kindness and protection and provision, uh, your deceased husband's brother would marry you. And that was to not only allow you to bear children who would ultimately take care of you, but to provide for you. And, and it was a means that God protected for his, or it was a means that God provided for the protection and care of his people. By God's providence, uh, Ruth goes out and gleans in the field of Boaz. This kinsman redeemer, this family member who could purchase uh, the land that had belonged to Elimelech and then uh, be the protector and provider of Naomi and Ruth. If it's God's providence that has allowed uh, Ruth to go and glean in the fields of Boaz, it is God's omnipotence, his utter and ultimate power that has allowed Christ to become a kinsman. That Jesus, eternally God, Son of the Father, begotten, not made, eternally existing as a member of the Trinity, fully divine, takes on flesh, born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and by the power of God becomes our kinsman. We want inherently to, to be able to, to do things without help. I mean, our kids quickly do this, right? You know, they quickly want to do it by themselves. We want to be able to provide for ourselves. We want to provide for our own salvation. We want to be able to earn it, or at least if we can't earn it in full, contribute something. But just like Ruth and Naomi were powerless in this culture and in this day to redeem themselves and to provide for themselves. 
so are we spiritually in the deadness of our sin, unable to redeem ourselves out of God's consequences for our sin, and we are in need of a kinsman redeemer. And that kinsman redeemer is Jesus Christ, who became one of us to purchase us out of our famine, our spiritual famine. Thirdly, we need rest, not merely provision. We need rest, not merely provision. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? They had already been more than provided for. Upon gleaning in Boaz's field, Boaz invites Ruth to attach herself to the young women of his household. That's a, a means of protection. It's a safe place for her to be. He orders his young men not to harm her. The threshing floor in the field was a dangerous place for women. Even Naomi gives instructions to Ruth so that she would not be assaulted there. It was a promiscuous and dangerous place for a young woman to be. And an act of protection, Boaz invites her in. And then he not only does that, he provides for her. At this initial uh, barley harvest in chapter 2, we're told that she is given an ephah of barley, which is about 22 Uh, or 22 liters. So imagine 11 two-liter bottles full of grain. This is more grain than she needed. And at the rate which he is providing grain for her, they not only have enough to eat, they have enough most likely to be able to sell. Boaz was not merely feeding them, he was providing for them, and he was protecting them. But that wasn't enough. That's not what Naomi sought for Ruth. She sought for her rest. Now, we all, the saved and unsaved alike, those who have trusted in Jesus for forgiveness and those who have not, we receive some of God's provision. We call this common grace. Not everybody through faith has experienced saving grace, but everybody receives common grace. Matthew chapter 5, 45 says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Believers and non-believers alike plant fields and they grow. They reap a harvest and they sell. They experience sunrises and sunsets and mountains and oceans and and the beauty of the world around us and family and food. And and so many of the good gifts of God are given to believers and non-believers alike. God in his common grace has provided for everyone, but we need more than just provision. We need rest. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. The context of Hebrews chapter 4 is Israel's entrance. Keep a finger in Ruth. We won't be here long. The context of of Hebrews chapter 4 is Israel's entrance after they've left Egypt into the promised land. And God has provided them this place They've been protected as they conquer the land. They've been provided for in a land flowing with milk and honey. But they need more than that. 
And the author of Hebrews, after explaining to us how Jesus is better than Moses and, uh, and has made better promises that are enacted on better things, and he's better than the angels, and he's inherited a better name, and we've been told over and over again for three chapters that Jesus is better than everything, we come to Hebrews 4 and we're told, therefore, while the pros- promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest." Since therefore it remains for some to enter enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, that is if entering the promised land had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also, re- and has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Naomi was a hard worker. We see in chapter 2, verse 7, uh, that uh, this servant of of Boaz reports, she said, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and here's his report. And she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She was gleaning from the corners of this field, working hard to provide for herself. And Boaz comes along and he provides for her far more than she could have provided for herself. And he protects her in ways that she could not have protected herself. And yet, Naomi invites her to rest, to not have to glean from the edges of the field, but but to receive the provision and protection that come from Boaz without having to work for them. This is so similar to what Jesus is doing for us. We try hard to, to strive in our own goodness and our own good works to provide for our own salvation. How many times have we heard from people, do you know if you're going to heaven? And they say, yes. And you say, how do you know? And they say, well, I'm a good person. I've done more good things than bad things. We, we, by our own good works or our own perceived self-righteousness, go around gleaning the edge of the field, picking up the scraps, pretending as though they're good enough, working for our own salvation. But what we need is not to work for our salvation. What we need is rest. And Christ invites us into that rest. In the same manner that Boaz invites Ruth into that rest. How does he invite us into that rest? He did all the work for us. He became our kinsman. The eternal God taking on flesh and living among us. Growing up perfectly, never violating God's law. In perfect obedience to God. And then, 
ministry, proclamation, and death. He dies in our place. Remember, we are dead spiritually, separated from everything that, that, God, uh, that, that would provide us life from God. The consequence of our sin being death. And Jesus dies in our place, condemned by God, though innocent, so that he might, by his death, put death to death. And take our place in death. Uh, die on the cross where we should have died. And then, three days later, resurrected in victory. And 50 days after that, ascended into heaven, now seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over all things. But his redemptive work of paying for our sin is done. His death has happened. His resurrection vindicates the fact that his death has paid the price, that it was satisfactory to God, that God has accepted his death as our death. And we are invited, as Hebrews 4 tells us, to rest in Christ and to stop gleaning around the fields trying to work on our own and to simply rest in Christ because he has done all the work for us. We need more than provision. We need more than protection. We need to cease from striving in our own strength to earn what only God can provide and enter into the rest of Christ. If we have trusted him through faith in his death and resurrection, then we have entered his rest and we can cease from our own striving to try and earn it and to be good enough and start living in response to it rather than in an attempt to earn it or provide it for ourselves. We are under the kind provision, protection, but also rest of our kinsman redeemer. And fourthly, our kinsman redeemer bought us with a price. In chapter 4, we see that Ruth was not free. The way this worked was that the land would have been purchased at full price, and with it, the women would have come to Boaz. And he would have married Ruth and been the provider of them all. But in order to take Ruth as his wife, to provide and protect and allow her to enter into his rest, he had to pay a price. She wasn't free. There was another redeemer closer in line. And Boaz, uh, upon this uh, marriage invitation of Ruth, that is what happens at the gleaning field. She goes to him. She lays at his feet. And on the threshing floor, he finds her there. And, and her request to spread his wings, that would have been the, the bottom of his cloak, over her was a request for protection, a request for marriage. And he goes to seek to fulfill that. And so he finds the Redeemer who's first in line, but that Redeemer will not redeem them. He's not willing to give up the price of his inheritance, whatever that means, whether it's what he would receive or what he would pass along. He was not willing to pay that price, and so he hands things off to Boaz, and Boaz, at the full price of all that belonged to Elimelech, purchases them and marries her. Our kinsman redeemer, in a similar way, had to purchase us. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, we're told, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And then 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 tells us what the price was that we were purchased at. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited for, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Ruth was purchased for an unknown price. We were purchased at an infinite price. The price of the life of Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. And so, like Ruth and Naomi on our own, we are separated from all that we need for life, spiritual life. We're in need of a kinsman redeemer who is Christ who took on flesh to be our kinsman and to redeem us. We need rest from our work, not merely provision. And our kinsman redeemer bought us with a price. But I want us to close this morning by looking at two uh, important uh, things about our kinsman redeemer. First, he is a selfless redeemer. He is a selfless redeemer. The first redeemer uh, who, who was in line to purchase the field of Elimelech and Naomi and Ruth, he was unwilling to jeopardize his own inheritance. He was not willing to pay the price. He was willing to pay a little, but he was not willing to pay everything. Boaz, on the other hand, was willing to pay whatever it took. And so it is with our kinsman redeemer. He was willing to pay whatever it took. We're reminded of this in John 3.16 where we're told, for God so loved the world. If you read my blog post last week, you would understand what this word so means. Sometimes we ask questions like, well, how big was it? It was so big. That is not what the word so in Greek means in John 3.16. The word so there means in this manner. And so we're told in John 3.16, for, for in this manner, God loved the world. In, in what manner did he love the world? In that he gave, as a price, his only begotten son, in order that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. He is not a stingy redeemer. He was willing to pay everything. He was willing to pay the price of his own son. And we should not ever slip into thinking that Christ went uh, begrudgingly. John 10 is clear. Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down. Christ willingly gave the price of his own blood. God lovingly sent his son to redeem us. He is a selfless redeemer. And secondly, he is a redeemer who delights in his bride. He is a, a redeemer who delights in his bride. When we by faith trust Christ, we, are, we become part of the church, Christ's bride. And he is a redeemer who delights in his bride. The picture here is amazing. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 10. We see that Ruth is found helpless and hopeless. And she goes to work and Boaz provides for her. He protects her. 
He gives her everything she needs. Naomi seeks to give her rest. They concoct this plan for for Ruth to go and, and at the threshing floor, essentially ask Boaz to redeem them, to ask Boaz to purchase them, which would have meant marriage for Ruth and Boaz. And look at Boaz's response in chapter 10. Well, let's back up to verse, I mean, verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 9. Boaz wakes up and he says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings. Cover me with your protection over your servant. For you are a redeemer. She's asking for his redemption. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. For you have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men. What was the first kindness? The first kindness was her care for Naomi, which she did not have to do. She, like Orpah, could have gone back to her people and her family and her gods, but she went to uh, Bethlehem, and she went out to work in the fields to provide for Naomi, and Boaz had noticed that kindness and pronounced blessing upon her, and now asking him to redeem her, he says, this kindness that you would come and ask for my protection and not that of some younger or more attractive or whatever man is a greater kindness. Do you get what's going on here? Boaz has provided for her. He has protected her. And now she says, I want you to redeem me, and he's going to pay for her. She's got nothing. She brings nothing but herself. He provides everything. It is his rest that she is entering into. He is her provider. He is her protector. He is her purchaser. And he looks at her and says, this is a great kindness to me. He is a redeemer who delights in his bride. As is Christ, Zephaniah three seventeen, the Lord is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He's done it all. He's provided it all. The only thing we bring to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. And he delights in us. He exults over us. He rejoices over us with singing. Our kinsman redeemer loves us. He delights in us. He is refining us. But he became one of us. He became our kinsman to purchase us, to redeem us. If you have not trusted him, if you're still striving to be good enough, still working for your own salvation, still still gleaning your own good works from around the edge of the field, I pray today that by faith and trust in his death and resurrection and his righteousness and not your own, that you would enter into his rest. But if you have entered into his rest, if it's not your own goodness that you're relying on, if he is your sufficient redeemer who has given you his righteousness, who has provided for you and protected you, I pray that you would see that he is worthy of your wholehearted devotion. 
that he is worthy of our whole lives, that he is worthy of everything we have. May we love him with the same fervor with which he has loved us. Lord, you are a kind and selfless redeemer who delights in us, who loves us, who exalts over us and rejoices in us. May we see that you are a God who is worthy of our praise. And may we delight ourselves in you. May we see and, and live and act like you are worthy of our wholehearted devotion. Lord, be glorified in us for your name's sake. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you grab a seat real quick? Friends, it's so good to see you. Thanks for, for coming this morning. Just got a couple more things we need to know just so we can navigate forward. So a couple of, couple of reminders. I, I listened to a podcast this week, and it talked about how we should change our language from tithes and giving to returning. The, the beautiful language in that of what we have, God has given to us, and it's really just returning. We're not giving like we own it. We're just returning it. I thought that was great. I hope, I hope that encourages you too. We've got several ways to do that. You can do it as you head out. There's boxes. We also have an app, and there's a website, various ways to, to give back. If you have a prayer request or a praise, here's one, one thing that's fun to be a part of. All of the elders in the church have committed to calling every family in the church, and so hopefully you've been called. If you haven't, you're, you're soon on the list. That's a great way to share personally a prayer request, but there is a much faster way, and that is in your worship folder, there is a, a card in there. You can write down a prayer request, uh, a praise, something that you want us to know about, and that's a really instant way that we can know what's going on. I encourage you to do that. If you don't know, there's a bookstore right over here in the coffee corner. There's a bunch of books there that we've said, hey, these are thumbs up. You should check these out. And you can buy that on your own or we can help you get that. Uh, it's a fantastic thing. Check that out. Next week, one of my favorite weeks. I got a lot of favorite weeks. But uh, next week, one of my favorite weeks, we have child dedication and baptisms. And if you've ever been here before, usually usually the, the house is packed, so that will be fun. But to be able to see people take their next step uh, is just such a fantastic thing. Lots of young people and, uh, and a, a mix of ages, actually. So please come next week. Bring somebody with you. Fantastic. We have uh, door hangers that are helping us invite for Easter coming up. So there's the little cards and there's the door hangers. We've talked about the, the house challenge. And so I'd like you to just grab one of those and, and help get the word out that Easter is coming. Let me read you this verse, 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. This verse uh, is actually one of my favorite worship songs. And uh, it's called The Benediction by Timothy James Meaning. And I, and I uh, totally threw off the tech team and, and the worship team last hour. And then like halfway through me singing it, the, the worship team just joined me. So that was fantastic. But what I would like you to do is, is stand with me. And I know this is a little bit weird, but benedictions are just a fantastic way for us to be sent out from the church gathered to the church scattered. There's a couple of verses that I will sing over you, uh, and the chorus we can sing together, and it's really, really easy because it's not up here. It's to God be the glory now and forever. Amen. Really hard, right? Okay. I'm going to start with the chorus. To God be the glory, now and forever, now and forever, amen, the end. To God be the glory, now and forever, now and forever, amen. My friends, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. My friends, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to God. 
To God be the glory. Now and forever. Now and forever. Now and forever. Now and forever. Amen. And to God. To God be the glory. Now and forever. Now and forever. Amen. I pray today if we've learned from one another, may we glorify Him. And if the Lord should bring us back together, arms till then to God to God be the glory now and forever now and forever amen to God be the glory now and forever now and forever amen last time voices loud to God now and forever amen. 